Home is a member of the Boing Boing Podcast Network. For more information about the great shows in the network, visit boingboingpodcasts.com. And to learn more about this show, visit homestories.la. They're obsolete now, of course. Have been for a while. Ancient history, outdated technology. But once, and it wasn't long ago, because technology moves so fast, sweeping aside the old, midwifing the new, color slides were the way we froze time, memorialized our lives, our look, our families, our homes. This week, Kodachrome, part one. This is Home, Stories from L.A. I'm Bill Barol. This device isn't a spaceship. It's a time machine. It goes backwards and forwards. It takes us to a place where we ache to go again. That's a good speech. It's the speech everybody remembers from Mad Men, and everybody remembers it for a reason. It struck a chord. It spoke to memory and time and desire, things we all wrestle with. And it's true, color slides, when they were the state of the art in photography, were particularly good at capturing moments. The strong light of the projector the way it bounced back off the reflective surface of the screen, illuminating the images from underneath, almost from within, it seemed. Slides were particularly vivid, and the experience of viewing them particularly immersive and involving. Because cameras were ubiquitous and processing was easy, untold millions, maybe billions of images, were shot, and many of them survive today. And they look pretty good, particularly the one shot on Kodachrome stock, with its bright, saturated colors and its relatively long color stability. You can find them in thrift shops and at swap meets, on eBay, and probably in the back of your family closets. And you should, because they provide a matchless window into how we lived and a ground-level glimpse at what our lives looked like. What can we learn about the way we used to live in our homes from slides? I came to an old Los Angeles landmark to talk to an expert. My name is Charles Phoenix. I guess that I'm a, I mean, gosh, I do a lot of things. I don't know quite how to say what I do, but I'm a vintage culture vulture, really, at the end of the day. And I'm a, I have a one-man show live on stage. That's my bread and butter. And in it, I celebrate classic and kitschy American life and style and tell stories and show pictures of me going in search of time warps and treasures across the United States, mostly inspired by things that I've seen in the vintage Kodachrome slides that I've been collecting for 25 years. When I was setting up this interview, 
I told Charles we could meet anywhere in L.A., anywhere he liked, and he should just pick someplace he felt comfortable. This is where he picked. We're at Farmer's Market, the corner of 3rd and Fairfax in Los Angeles since 1934. It is what I call the crossroads of Los Angeles. I mean, this is quintessential L.A. This is an iconic, legendary landmark. Did I say that? If I didn't already, I'll say it again. I'll probably say it more because uh, this is really one of the places in L.A. where you get heart and soul. Um, everyone can be here. Everyone is here. It's all walks of life. It's, it's a place I bring everyone who comes from out of town, always. And you can get just about everything here. You want this to eat, you want that to eat, whatever you want to eat, they have it. They have shopping, they have everything. I asked him why, out of all the places we could have met, he picked Farmer's Market. Well, I, I, I like being at Farmer's Market. I come here as often as possible. I mean, you know, I live in Silver Lake, so it's about 30 minutes in medium traffic time. Um, and I feel comfortable here. I like the honesty of it. I like the authenticity of it. I like the history of it. I like the soul of it. I like the style of it. I love the variety of it. I love er almost everything about it. So I feel comfortable. Plus, I knew we could just sit down and no one's going to say it's time for you to go. Not that I've ever been told to leave anywhere. Um, but no one's going to tell us it's time to go. I mean, you can just stay here. So it's fantastic. <laughs> Charles grew up in Ontario, California in the 1960s and 70s, about 30 minutes outside of L.A. His father ran a used car lot. He remembers doing the things Ontario kids did, hanging out, having big spaghetti dinners at Vince's. It's still there. Going on Sunday drives with his parents all over Southern California, except for the most part to Los Angeles. He doesn't recall why. He just remembers that when he came to L.A. for the first time, it grabbed him. I recognized it immediately as being the place that I wanted to be. I need to be in the big city. I knew that. I started hijacking friends when I was 14 years old that had cars, and I would say, we're going to L.A., and we would drive around. That was about the time the Bonaventure opened downtown, and by the time I was 16, I was ordering um, piña coladas spinning around the top of the Bonaventure. We would, we would go to Cantor's. We would drive up and down the Sunset Strip. We would try to think we were going to see a show being filmed at CBS Television City, which happens to be next door to Farmer's Market, where we are right now. And, um, you know, we would drive up and down Wilshire Boulevard, and we would just drive around. I wanted to get to know the city. I wanted to kind of get to know the space of it, the place of it, and, uh, you know, kind of find my space and place here. So as soon as he was able, in 1982, he was 19, he moved to East Hollywood, got an apartment for $312 a month. Later, he moved to Los Feliz, and then to Silver Lake. Where I'm still in Silver. I don't say Lake anymore. Why bother? No one's saying Silver Lake anymore. It's just Silver. He worked in fashion, sold classic cars. And then one day... I found a little blue shoebox of, of slides in a thrift shop marked Trip Across the United States, 1957. And I opened the box up, I held a few up, and I knew this was a treasure with my name on it, and I, I knew immediately 
that I had discovered something very special. Now, this was 1992. Found photography was not a thing at all. Um, I remember then finding several more collections at estate sales and flea markets in the short weeks thereafter. And, all, and, and really knowing this is something, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to take these slides and I'm going to sort through them. I'm going to, I'm going to you know, categorize subjects and I'm going to get rid of the ones that, you know, have no interest to anyone in the future or me ever. Um, and, you know, that's out of focus pictures of dirt, basically. Um, and I'm going to, I'm going to do something with them. I'm not sure what. So I went to a gallery, a photography gallery, a very fine gallery on La Brea at the time. And I walked in there kind of like I own the place in a weird way, much more, much more um, self-confident than usual. And I said, I walked right up to the woman who owned the gallery, and I'm like, I collect other people's old Kodachrome slides. And, you know, no one was really doing that at the time. So she looked at me, and she went, well, that's nice, but they're nothing unless you do something with them. Right. Do something with them. The basic idea came pretty quickly. A slideshow, a trip across the U.S. in Kodachrome. He started working out the particulars by inviting friends over and doing the show in his living room. One day, one of them suggested that he talk to the people at the California Map and Travel Center in West L.A., where they had a regular Monday night slideshow series. It was 1997. So I'd already been collecting five years. So um, I went over there, and I told the lady who books the slideshows, the owner, I'm like, you know, I'd really love to do this. And she's like, no one will ever be interested in looking at other people's old slides. So I'm sorry, I'm not going to be able to give you a Monday night. And so I said, you know what, I, I think they really will. And she said, no, I, I really don't think so. I said, I'm going to bring you some. So I, I went back, like, the next day, and I had a couple of sleeves full of these mid-century Kodachrome slides. And um, I, I held them up to the light, and I said, look, these, this is what I'm talking about. And immediately, without skipping a beat, she's like, Harvey, get over here. You've got to see this. So here comes Harvey. And so he's like, these are, these are beautiful. And so they immediately booked a date. And what happened was, so I did this show there. And within the first, I remember the exact, same, the exact slide that I was presenting. It was about maybe the fifth slide in the show. I said something, and the audience all roared laughing. And I knew immediately at that time, that's how you guys want to enjoy this. It's not we're, la we're not laughing at. We are laughing with. We're, this is joy. I, I realized it was, it was what I do and what, what I realized immediately about the reaction to what I do is that it is a celebration of our own lives and our parents' lives and our grandparents' lives. And there's something very warm and satisfying about doing that when at the same time paying tribute to our culture. So it, I, I realized this is kind of a win-win thing. That night, um, there happened to be a woman in the audience who um, wrote for um, the Los Angeles Times Magazine, when I think they still have it. I don't even know if they still do. But um, anyway, and she said, I'm doing an article on this. So she did, and she said, where's your next slideshow? And I said, well, I'll, I don't have a next slideshow. She said, book one, and then I'll print the, have the piece done. So California, uh, or the um, travels distant lands in Pasadena, they did shows there then too. So I called them up and they said, let's do it. And then uh, the piece came out in the LA Times Sunday Magazine and 300 people showed up. And I kept doing them little by little here and there, coffee places and stuff like that. And then finally someone said, "Someone people would pay for this. That's what they said. So I said, that's good, because I could use some money. So I've been charging ever since. And it became my livelihood pretty quickly. 
So that's Charles, your guide to the world in Kodachrome. I wanted to find out from him not just what people photographed in their homes, how those homes looked, but why they chose to photograph what they did. The archivist Rick Prelinger coined the term ephemeral films to describe the old educational, industrial, and promotional films he collects. By the way, a lot of his astounding archive is now available online at the Internet Archive, and if you haven't seen it, you should do yourself a favor and take a look. Anyway, one of the things Prelinger figured out in his pioneering work in the genre is that those films were, to a large degree, aspirational. They depicted norms and behaviors that were just as much about what the producers thought we should be as they were about what we were. I wondered if slides of the American home at mid-century held that same kind of hidden coding. So I asked Charles what he'd learned about how those photographers and subjects lived in their homes, what they had, and what they valued. I really learned more about how people document their existence at home more than how they learn. I think I kind of knew that already. I mean, how they live. I think I knew that already, pretty much, more or less. I mean, because we don't really get too personal, so we don't know, like, you know, we just see stuff, and we see the people and the way they dress and their expressions and all of that, or their poses. So, I mean, I get to see all the different kinds of furniture and the lamps and the art on the wall and, the, you know, the way they, the paint scheme and all that. I'll tell you, um, in the 40s and 50s, we definitely had a lot more bright colored walls in our interiors and a lot more wallpaper. And we had beautiful textiles hanging as drapes and curtains, fine textiles. So uh, I, I see the quality of goods is, is staggering, staggering high quality of goods that the average American had access to in the mid-century era. Um, but what I really see more than anything is the repetitiveness about the way that people document their lives at home. And I see um, occasionally I'll stumble upon a collection that's for some strange reason, or some reason, not strange, that person had a different kind of mentality about what they were going to photograph and how. But that's not that common. Most people, most human beings take photographs the same way. He sees so many commonalities, so many visual tropes again and again, that he's given them shorthand names. Within my collection, I have a, a lot of categories. But one of the categories is, I call it couch poor, which is just short for portrait. But my librarian and I, yes, I have a librarian. She's been coming over every Wednesday afternoon for about 13 years now. She helps me keep the, well, she does keep the uh, collection in order. She helps me edit and everything. But anyway, um, Couch poor, trit. Um, so we have, you know, we have all of these categories that are inside the home. But that's one of my favorites. Um, the other favorite, and and you know, it's a, it's a reality of picture taking back in the days that most most of the time the photographer was the, the adult male in the household. So there's another um, category that I have that I love called women in the kitchen, and it is very common for the man to photograph the wife in the kitchen solo with food very common photo and it's always a wonderful photo because because it just is so yeah i mean um that's kind of what i learned you know i mean it, you get to see what the gifts that people gave at holiday time uh parties how they decorated how they dined what they ate i mean fancy meals got documented the special meals parties got documented uh, the games they play you can see um, you can see how people dressed. 
at home and what a beautifully dressed society we once were. I mean, you know, we didn't know we didn't need to dress that well, I guess, at that time. But um, yeah, gorgeous clothes, beautiful everything, beautiful dishes, beautiful furniture. That abundance you see in American homes of the post-war years, a high standard of living, at least for the rising middle class that could afford to buy gadgets like cameras and pay for processing and leave a visual record behind, it reinforced a certain formality, even in the home. Well, I mean, grandma, grandma was very, 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 very formal. And so his great-grandma was even more formal. We are far more casual. I mean... I remember, you know, whenever we went to the grandparents' house for dinner or whatever, or went to the grandparents' house at all, which we did a lot, I mean, it was prim and proper and poised behavior at all times. When we sat at the table, there was a certain way to sit at the table, there was a certain way to do everything, and we had to follow their lead and do it. He sees that formality not just in the home, but out of it, or getting ready to go out of it on a Saturday night. That's another common class of slide. Yeah, the woman getting ready to go. Sometimes there is a third party and they're able to take the couple getting ready to go out all dressed up. I mean, I remember when I was a little kid growing up in Ontario, California, my parents went out to dinner every Saturday night. They, they dressed like they were going to, you know, I mean, they, were, they dressed up. Um, you know, my mother would have a lovely coat or whatever. She never had a real mink stole. She just wasn't that tight. But my dad would wear a tie and everything. I mean, that, that definitely you know, ended within my early childhood years. I mean, just like the day, uh, one Easter, my mother said, I'm never wearing these gloves again. It's Easter, no one's wearing gloves. You're never gonna see me wear them again. So say goodbye to the gloves. So there's progress, social progress. You see it in the difference between the world of the slides and the world of, well, the world. Particularly in a busy, bustling place like Farmer's Market. Charles isn't one of those people who's reflexively stuffy about this kind of change. You know, we're so much more casual. I mean, that's really what I think is we have casualized inside the home and outside the home. But, you know, is it a crime? No, we do it because we can, I guess. You know, traditions, um, I love traditions. I love traditions. But I also enjoy adding to them. I enjoy subtracting from them. And I love goosing them when it's right to goose them. So, um, you know, yeah, we're casual. Still, continuity has its charms. And it's what brings us back to the farmer's market. Continuity is why Charles loves the farmer's market. It's what sends him in search of places like it everywhere he goes. You know, yes, farmer's market definitely fits in the category of what you're talking about. You know, the feeling of home. The feeling of being assured, um, the feeling of, um, you know, being familiar, um, what I call homespun and family run. These are the businesses that I seek out all over wherever I go around the United States or, you know, when I happen to go out of the United States, um, I do the same thing. But I'm looking for what I call mom and pop shops. As I said, the homespun and family run, those are the kind of places to me that, um, you know, I want to feel heart and soul. And I want honesty. I want genuine, authentic. I want, I want family. And, and I find that in these places. So that's what I'm going for. We live in a wonderland to discover. 
There is something interesting around almost every single corner, no matter where you go. But you've got to be looking for it, and you've got to, you've got to, you know, in part, you're looking for that feeling of that comfort zone, and um, you know, it's out there. Home isn't just home. Home is, for me, home is everywhere. The whole world is home. I mean, this is my home. This is our home. That was a good ending, huh? Well, almost an ending. Next time in part two, I dig into the slides of a mid-century American family, a family I never met, to see what I can glean about the way they lived in their home. See you then.